with superstars. Welcome to the Up Your Creative Genius podcast, where you will gain insight and tips to stomp on the accelerator and blast off to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Patty Dobrovolsky, and if this is your first time tuning in, then strap in because this is Serious Rocket Fuel. Each week, I interview fellow creative geniuses to help you learn how easy it is to up your creative genius in any part of your life. Hey, everybody, it's Patty Dobrovolsky, as you know, and today, oh my gosh, I have like one of my new best friends. That is just incredible. And I would just say he's my new Australian best friend because I have a best friend in Australia and I have one in various different cities. But this one is somebody brand new who I really, really love. He's so incredibly creative. You're going to love him, Dan Levy. And he's with the company More Space for Light, which we're going to talk about what that means. But first, I want to introduce him to you. He's a strategist, a creative, and a skilled facilitator. I'm telling you, he really rocks it on mural. So he's also an educator, global speaker, a tech investor, and startup founder. He's done so many things that to help employees transform, and they call it becoming an intrapreneur, so that you really are living in alignment with your true purpose as you go out and spread your work and your business into the world. So his whole thing is around helping you creatively problem solve and getting you to understand how to do it yourself. And he loves to enable organizations to foster a environment of creative confidence and collaboration. So he does human-centered design, and he's just a design thinker. You should check out his website right away because it's incredible. And there's a whole bunch of case studies there that I was just like stalking you on, Dan, and they're amazing. So please help me welcome Dan Levy. Yes, all the way from Adelaide. Aren't you in Adelaide? Brisbane. I am in Adelaide. Oh, Adelaide. Adelaide. Okay. Patty, yep. you're going to mess with everyone because they've got an English accent. So people go, oh, like, that's not very Australian They're not. Accent. That's right. It's so true. Oh, well, but whatever. Here you are. You're here. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, now tell us, Dan, now that I gave you that big drum roll of introduction and just want to say that it's his morning, it's my night. So we're on opposite ends. And so he's just waking up and I'm just trying to stay up, as you know, but here the conversation is going to keep all of you awake as soon as we get into it. Dan, you have to tell us, how did you come to be a creative and game stormer and design thinker? How did you ever get to this place? I would be lying if I said it was intentional. I started in design and what I found was as I got further and further away from the tools, I found that people either go down one or two paths. They either go, well, one or three paths. They either go into leadership in regards to they want to manage a group. They either go into development, meaning they want to own the experience, or they go into a more user-centric role, which means they want to be able to help people understand what the hell everybody else is doing so that they can make sense and and be fantastic yeah 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 yeah. so so basically I went down that more user-centric role and what I found was the user-centric role usually involved me helping people to understand or 
attach rationale or link things back to business objectives. And slowly what happened was I developed this design thinkers mindset and toolkit. And before I knew what was happening, I found out it was a thing. So then I had to kind of reverse engineer my thinking to fit into frameworks that allowed me to have that already existed right (laughs) I love that you had your own thing and then you had to figure out okay well this is what they're calling that thing that I'm doing and so I'm going to make sure that I understand that so I can make sure that this thing that I have I can do it in my own way I knew none of the words Uh, I found out about this program by Luma, L-U-M-A, yes, Luma. Yes. Um, I got friendly with somebody from Luma and I was explaining yeah. to my world and they kept telling me, oh, that sounds like this tool. That sounds like that tool. So I invested, became a Luma facilitator to learn more about what they were doing, just basically to formalize and make it less punk rock, a bit more. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Legitimist, you know, yeah, legitimize legit. yourself. You were trying to make yourself legit. That's what your legit. t-shirt should say. Now, were you a designer when you were a kid? How did you get into design? What did you do? I was so into comics. And it's kind of a relevant conversation, this, because my boys have just started to get into comics. So all I've got left from when I was a kiddie is a big box of Marvel comics. And I pulled them out the other day for the kids. And I'm just oh. rediscovering my childhood at the moment. And the kids are going and they're drawing. So when I... When I first got into art, it was all about creating stories, making comics and getting into art and then media with film. And then slowly I I figured out I like computers and then it was interactive and riding the wave of web design and not app, but more CD-ROM designs. So that was really my path in. So CD-ROMs, meaning you did the covers. Meaning the for example, Ford or Jaguar would create a, an interactive CD-ROM, which is basically uh, these days like a website on a CD-ROM. Yes. And I'd be part of Whoa. a creative team that would do the UI <laughs> and the buttons. So do you remember something called Director and Lingo? Of course, of course, of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was working in Director and Lingo. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So that's how you started being a really a cartoon freak and a comic book person. And then that evolved into doing this kind of design. So how do you pull that into the work you're doing now? Like if you're the superhero in that comic back in the past, well, how are you the superhero in the room today? What would your superhero do? Or what do you do as a design thinker in a session that makes you a superhero? Okay, so I always say that everybody else is the superhero I'm just the Gandalf I'm the person that stands in the corner or the (laughs) Doctor Strange that kind of sets the constructs and creates the worlds for people to operate and to facilitate conversations there's a chap called Daniel Stillman who really changed my mind in regards to what it is to be a facilitator and actually thinking about designing conversations not just about asking questions but actually constructing that conversation yeah and since the pandemic and we switched to a remote way of working yeah what I found is that because we're using collaboration tools like mural to facilitate conversations that I am legitimately a conversation designer now because I'm legitimately 
creating yep. the conversation in the backdrop yeah. of a yeah. board. To- well, and you're creating the almost like the tapestry on which people can form and connect. And yep. we'll tell people what mural is about. You know, say a little bit about it, how you use it in design thinking, because not everybody uses it. And so how do you use it and what's the advantage of using it compared to just live facilitation where you're there and you might have post-it notes and a room full of crazy people at tables? The best thing about Mural for me is that you don't have to rewrite hundreds of post-it notes at the end of a workshop. <laughs> it's already there. They've got this wonderful little function that says copy as text and you <laughs> pop it straight into a spreadsheet. I know because I felt the pain of that yesterday. But besides that, it's, well, you know, Patty, from your work, that we work synchronously and asynchronously. And through yeah. the way we work now, we are able to actually conduct conversations without people needing to be there. We can keep momentum in the conversation. And Mural is a tool that allows us to work asynchronously as well as synchronously. So we can keep decision-making, collaboration, all these types of things. We can keep that in motion. And that's a great enabler, especially for people like ourselves that work with organizations across the globe and need to basically bind teams together to be able to collaborate and communicate and co-create. Yeah. Do you think that people are more willing when they're using a collaboration tool like that online, they're more willing to be part of the game? Now, this is interesting. So we've run a couple of workshops over the last few weeks and we found a bit of both. So some people don't want to be involved. It doesn't matter. They just like to, I call them lurkers. They lurk (laughs) in the background. They don't have their camera and other people want to get involved. Something I'm really mindful of, and I don't know if you find this as well, when I introduce tools into a remote workshop, I'll try to reduce the amount of tools because regardless of how easy it is, and also bear in mind, we're super biased because we're using these tools almost fluidly for our work in our day, they get a sense of overwhelm. Now, I'll give you an example. Say, for instance, we've got a present, somebody wants to do a presentation and we're then doing some interactive stuff. I'll put it all on the interactive board that way. We keep them in one spot. So even though it might be a little bit difficult for people creating um, their spreadsheet, their slideshow, and they have to take the pain of that, what that means is the user experience, they get a better experience. So I'm all about how do we take the pain away from participants and own that pain to make the experience so much easier. And again, that tool like Mural allows you to do a lot of like consolidating all the different other things that you could potentially use or integrating it in with a video conferencing tool just makes it so much simpler. Yeah. Now for you, I don't know, you know, I have my sweet spot where I really know when I'm in the experience at the highest level I possibly can, you know, I'm fully engaged and I'm really paying attention. What for you, are the things that create the environment in which that happens for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be online. It could be in person, but I'm curious what creates the environment where you have, I would say more space for light in what you're doing in the room with people. This is hard because again, sometimes 
this is a form of flow which I feel can be quite rare to get to and I'm always nervous at the beginning of a workshop so I'll try and get people out of their comfort zone so they can meet me where I'm at yeah do you ever tell them that you're uncomfortable at the beginning all all the time okay and that does that normalize it you think for people in the room maybe but it normalizes it for me because see when I conduct a workshop I'm sorry if I'm not directly answering your question that's okay we'll go back to it when I'm in a workshop, I feel like I like the environment to be like we're in the pub and we're sitting around the table and we're having a conversation and we're capturing it and everyone feels empowered to be able to talk. Yeah. Some people don't like that because they're used to a more of a, a cooperative meeting structure where they're told what Formalized. to do. Yeah, yes, so formalized. Yeah, so there's like hierarchies and people feel like if they talk out of turn, they might be seen stupid. Whereas in a, using air quotes now, but in a more like pub type friendly environment, people say stupid things all the time and either people will play on it or call them out and it'll be a bit of a joke. And it's not such a, it's not such a risk because yeah, it's not high stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Not high stakes. So how can I reduce the stakes, reduce the risk, build that, build that trusted environment where people want to take risks And I feel as a facilitator, I have to demonstrate that vulnerability. So people, and maybe I don't need to, because maybe that compromises my message by saying, right, I'm going to get everybody to take a deep breath now. And I need it as well. I don't know if that compromises, but at the same time, I'm being quite selfish in my space because for me to deliver the best possible experience, I need to get everybody into my my zone I can't be in their zone because if I'm in their zone yeah I inherit all of their culture all of their permissions all of their yes their weight and so you're suddenly in their norms instead of your norms I would say imposing your norms on the space itself and and inviting them to step into it is what it sounds like. And what's true is whether you're in person or online, there's always people who don't want to step in the space, but you don't know what's going on with them. So my thing is like, leave them, (laughs) you know, don't try to torture them. Although I will torture them a little. Do you do that a little to try to get them to turn on their camera and stuff like that? I'm from, so where I grew up, people are very vocal and there's a <laughs> where did you grow up like, where did you grow, I grew up? up in northeast london so northeast from, london yes <laughs> yeah so it's a lot louder i grew up from a very loud family and i have to be really attuned to other people to know where their boundaries are and yeah. so i need to test that to yeah. pick up their frequency but at the same time sometimes when you're trying to bring the masses along yeah you can't bring the 20 or the 10 percent outliers so like you have an objective, you bring everybody along. And sometimes people might not collaborate as much, but you have to be comfortable with that. As long yeah, as yeah. different people's. Yeah. Otherwise you spend time. Don't you think you'd spend time like trying to get them to come trying to get them. It's exhausting for everybody in the room, but especially it's exhausting for you when you know that your agenda is already set 
I love this because I don't think that I have, I had Sunny Brown, you know, on, but we yeah. really didn't talk about facilitation that much, but talking to you, it's so great to hear from a skilled facilitator, some of the challenges that you deal with and how you manage them. Like what's the worst thing that ever happened to you in a session where, that you were running that oh, you I had to handle? Okay. So um, <laughs> I come to learn that sometimes that, if you run as many workshops as us, you're not going to get 100%. Like, you, you know, you watch a soccer match or a football match and there'll be a player that won't always have a great game. That's, that's right. just what happens <laughs> when you run so many. And that's yeah. not always your fault. We ran a workshop the other week and it was military position. And this, I didn't feel comfortable military position because it takes away some of my spontaneity. Yes. And I like to feel the energy and, and also it, but I needed to do that. So the client felt comfortable because it was a really, really big client. Like I, yeah. I can't say her. Uh, <laughs> and they had my script. They had the board. We did rehearsals. Anyway, we got into the workshop within five minutes. The technology wouldn't work for the client. The client decided to change to another technology, which basically went, we couldn't do breakout rooms. None of the presentations oh, no. <laughs> worked. None of the videos worked. There was too many people. They then started switching off their videos. And, oh, God. and I basically put in the chat and now we improvise. And I knew my script, <laughs> like that I'd spent a long time on this script, practicing yeah. it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I just closed the window. I was like, right, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to just basically I knew what now the, and the, now the actor in me comes out. Yeah, now I've got a wing superhero yeah. cape on, right? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And it was just like dig in, yeah, and do it, dig in and do it, and and that, and we got through it. We got to the outcome we needed yeah. to. It wasn't the most comfortable workshop because we had to constantly adapt. Yeah, but we, but, but from an outcomes perspective and getting everyone through and yeah. having everything needed to go as planned, it was. It was perfect in that respect. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you know, I, I love that. I, you know, the worst workshop I ever ran was one of the first change workshops where I didn't realize that people were getting fired when they got called out of the room, oh. they were getting fired and they weren't coming back in the room, but nobody told me that. So I just thought I was really bad. So I just kept overacting. You know what I mean? Like I got louder and louder and bigger and bigger. And what was true is everybody in the room was so sad, but I had no idea of knowing because it was my first engagement as a facilitator. So I just didn't know. And after that, I was like, you always have to be willing and able to read the room first and then pivot, you know, read and pivot and see and ask like, what's going on? Why are you all, you know? So I love that. Now, um, Dan, you run a lot of sessions with a lot of companies. How do you manage that kind of a schedule? And you got kids and a wife. I mean, how do you do all that balancing? I'm getting better. I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm starting to schedule and plan and and be quite strict in regards to, you know, like only booking two gigs a month, maybe three at most. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and that seems to be working. But it isn't. E I'll be honest, it isn't easy. It's the toughest thing running a business is so many levels see we've just spoken about facilitation and already there's like a multitude of levels there in regards to planning strategy 
actual delivery and then all the human parts and soft skills and humility you need to have with that and then after the before and after and having to prepare and deliver the outcomes and then on top of that how do you market that and then how do you think what's the flywheel to get more work and then you've got to think about all the accounts oh gosh oh yeah it's a lot and tracking them it's really it's a lot you know you need like a lot of people it takes an army really it takes a village they would say you know it really does though and so tell me how you started more room for light how did you start it how did we start more space for light yeah is it space for light more why do i suddenly thought room space room space i think room room. and space same thing right in u.s room in in your world space well we get emails from lighting and room companies asking i bet you do i bet you do ridiculous um so I dear going, dan do you need yeah. help with the equipment because we have a whole lighting kit that you're gonna love <laughs> absolutely I know. yeah so I know. if you need a discount yeah. come to me i can get trade prices <laughs> 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 so more space was started almost seven years ago where well six and a half years ago when my second was born i was hit a point in my career where i wasn't happy I was the strategist that was rolled out when a company needed website or whatever it was. And I felt like where I'd been in my career, I'd regressed. I'd be working on some amazing products with amazing companies in incredible teams, whether it would be in London and Sydney. And I found myself in the marketing world where the value I felt was more about the idea or the execution, yes, but not about, well, what difference does this make to the business from a more sustainable? Yeah. How is it going to help them? Yeah. How is it going to help them? Yeah. Right. And and also like, what's, are we doing things that are risky in the respect of, are we as a brand company doing things that will help us grow and move to the next horizon so what we were doing was very kind of superficial and transactional give me a microsite so coming from iptv products and all this sort of stuff i just didn't see a future doing what i was doing yeah and i didn't see opportunities in the space to allow me to go out and explore and help organizations figure this out because initially i just wanted to help companies do cool stuff that yeah, was like, and I know that course. kind of massive hypocritical from what I've just said, but <laughs> I think cool stuff in the regards of how do we leverage new technologies? How do we improve the connection with people whose lives we impact and whose lives we're trying to improve? How can we think about what we're doing a little bit differently from their perspective, as opposed to how much let's create something cool? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, um, let's create something cool and then push it out. Yeah, basically, and. One night, um, so I used to, I've always had a really high work ethic. And one night I was putting my eldest now to bed. And he said, mommy, I want, I want more space for light. And I said to my wife, I, I said, what does that mean? That sounds, that's really interesting. She said, well, he's not ready to go to bed yet. He wants more space for light for him, meant more time to read, more time to play, more time to kick a ball, play with his figures and all that. And I was, Whoa. I was just like, I want that. Yeah. I, I want that and I think yes. I can give that and it almost oh, rejuvenized me and revitalized me 
and I had a mission, I had a purpose, like I had something I could get behind. And that has really become a mantra for me, for us and, yeah. and for the people we work with. Yeah. yeah. Whether that's the future of now, whether that's that our engagements, whether that's the friendships we've developed, like yeah. within the community, the partnerships yeah. with it's how do we make more space for like for each other, for mutual value, for our clients, for our customers. And it's just changed the dynamic of the conversation. It's such a holistic view. I mean, I think this is what I love about it is that you're looking at the bigger picture. I mean, I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in um, for big companies where they said, you know, and one of the things on the vision is got to be work-life balance and what you're talking about really is bigger than that. It's not just work-life balance. It's that you understand that work and life are integrated. They're part of an integrated whole that we are graciously allowed to participate in. And that when you make more room for play, for curiosity, like you are a prolific reader. That's what I know to be true about you. Like I said, and then did you read that? And you go, oh yeah. And this, have you read this and this and this? You go, I ordered that already, right? So, but that to me just tells me about how much time it requires for you to process and to be creative, you know? Oh yeah. I think, and this is something I love working with people that are, hungry and curious and I don't mean hungry in the respect of ambitious and like ambition is good but yeah when it's self-serving and and leaves everyone behind but curious in regards to want knowledge want to learn are prepared to be wrong and are prepared to be challenged in their thoughts and yeah I think this is a really this is when you know you're in a great workshop when people feel comfortable to say things that might not be correct, but just want to get them out into the open and let other people play with them and just understand from different perspectives. And that's when you've got a really interesting group of people because they've with a, sorry for the pun, but they've made the space for light. They've they've bought something out and they're exploring. And, and that's really interesting because they will achieve what they want to do because they have that trust and they have that capability of, you know, creative capability within all of them to be able to, you know, just have that durability to play with something. It's so awesome. That's fantastic. Now tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about your day. How does your day go and how do you find a way to make more space for light in that day? Like, what do you do? What time do you get up and what do you do? I want to know what your rituals are so we get to know you a little bit better. Uh, okay, <laughs> so my, I'm going through a sleep phase at the moment. And by a sleep phase, what I mean is I'm taking it a lot more seriously. I've got a mentor or coach who's just basically impressing upon me how important sleep is and your self-health, your self-worth. Yeah. It was worth, that's the wrong term, but self just looking after care, yourself self-care yeah self-care thank you and and how the impact of sleep improves your focus and productivity during the day and yeah. I've been playing with that and having early nights so generally generally I'm up just before 6 a.m I've got a pando gym I call it so so it's out the back in the open garage I've got my weights I do a little work workout I've been trying to meditate I have a friend that's given me this ADHD meditation tape for people like me that can't keep still so I've been 
10 minutes I'll do that I'll most probably get disturbed by one of my little ones coming outside to wee on the lemon tree um (laughs) (laughs) and then and then pretty much I've been working a lot from home lately which has been I'll be honest a bit of a drag because I'm kind of I feel quite isolated so I've got an office I've got an office in town and I'll go in and connect with people but I've because we're going away camping at the weekend I've been trying to avoid as many people as possible that could <laughs> potentially give me COVID because I don't yes, want to cancel a camping trip with my little one so I've become like this <laughs> oh my gosh. I've become this hermit which is really awful but yeah, after that I'll yeah. be out and about and then I've been a bit slack Patty, because I started the year with 90 day goals and then month focus and then dailies and all of that I had that and as the teams changed and over you know different circumstances we've had to deal with with the pandemic, et cetera, I've slowly been more into the I feel a bit I'm in the weeds at the moment, but I'll have a set schedule and I've been trying to clock off at around five-ish, because the kids roll in at three. So even if I'm on a call, they become part of the call. Yes, and then I'm I'll sure. <laughs> dinner and then maybe I've been trying not to work. Yeah, but maybe I'll do a few hours just to catch up and try and be in bed and as early as I can or chill out with my, my wife as early as I can. But that's generally the day is from yeah. now I'll just be online working, grinding through my list of tasks. <laughs> there it is. That's right. Yes. I like that. I think that the idea of sleep is is really, I'm glad that it's at the forefront. It's sometimes hard to grab for me. You know, I'll wake up and I'll, and I'll look at my sleep clock app and it'll say five hours and I'll be like, oh no, that's not enough, you know, two more and then too late. I'm already awake thinking about coffee because there's coffee waiting for me out in the other room. And once I start thinking about it, then I've got to yeah. go. I'm a true addict. But I love, too, that you're talking about this idea of setting goals, but then you have to let them go. You have to, at some point, let go of what your structure is. I think we get very obsessed with, you know, like the first thing I said when we got on the call before we started the podcast, I was saying, you know, have have you, I read this, or somebody sent me something about turning your 12 um, month year into a 12 week year. So that you get things done in a short a sprint, you know, do it in a sprint. And the reason that I'm doing that in a sprint is because like you, I set those goals and then I do those things. And then I know, I just know that right around now, because this is April, right? We're in second quarter, right? And in second quarter in the US, that's the way they divide it up unless you work for Microsoft. And then the first of the year starts in June. I don't know how they figured that out. But so second quarter, then you have to reboot somehow. So either I'll draw a brand new map or... I will then just start to experiment with what is going to trick me into wanting to have fun again, to do something. What do I need to learn that's going to keep me inspired? So, you know, that gym thing, it helps. It gets your dopamine going, you know, your serotonin's up and then you're ready to go back in and do it, right? Yeah. Also, I think there has to be a level of confidence and maturity in your business and and the patterns and seasons of business, because for a long time, I panic around Christmas because nobody wants a workshop or talk to us around from December to January. And now I've refrained that. So initially, like I panicked and then I'd listen to people like 
Gary Vaynerchuk, who was yeah, like, you yeah, should be Gary working Vaynerchuk. 48 hours a day, even though it's not possible, <laughs> and hustling and getting advantage of everyone and come out of January and kicking ass and being yeah. in 3D and 4D and TikTok and NFT yeah. and all the NFTs and all that rubbish. And then I was like, actually, those, this, admittedly, this is the first time I've done it this year. This is time for me to clean house and figure out a bit about yeah. me, about who I am, what more spaces, what do we want to achieve this year? Yes. And hopefully, and this sounds terrible, hopefully we don't get any work till March. And exactly. So do that it's as so, long as possible. Exactly. This is what I said. You know, there's, <laughs> there's something in my Instagram channel right now where I say to the camera, I'm so happy when a client cancels the call because then I can go bike riding and then I speed off on my bike, you know, because this is what's true is that we don't always want to be on 24-7 and and we're not meant to be on 24-7. Yeah. And we need that time to create more space for light and, and to understand ourselves and see what we're going to do next. What are we going to grow you know, what do we want to read or play or, I don't know, go to the beach, something, right? So I'm reading a book. A rec- this is a recommendation by my coach. It's called Stolen Focus. Mm, and, nice. he's, and he said to me, Dan, your word this is focus. You've got to do less, but more of like, just focus on what works for you. And I've been going through my own personal and professional transformation in regards to just honing in on focus and being quite comfortable to let certain things fall off and not do them, but just, and I'm figuring out that journey. That isn't like an automatic tomorrow. I'll get this. Like this is a journey of self-discovery for me, (laughs) (laughs) but this book's just been remarkable. So there were some principles that I'd already put in place. Like I don't have my mobile phone in my bedroom. Like I don't sleep with my phone. I sleep with my Fitbit just so I don't wake my wife up or we some, we have our little one sleeping with us. And that's the most discreet way I can wake anyone up. Yeah, yeah. I'll try not to look at my phone when I wake up first thing. I want to see a human yep. being if I can. Or yeah. if I'm doing a workout, I'll just put on my music and not look at my emails. And I'm trying to set boundaries. Yeah, I just saw this yeah. study on Instagram. It was just... Um, photos of people just an observation of how people use their mobiles and you see them in social settings and I'm trying to reduce the amount of time I look at social media like I'm trying I'm trying to make the phone not rule me yeah I think it's um in this time it's really difficult it's like one of the biggest challenges that we have and not just us but I think the younger generation is all about it and so to make space for the phone to be away is like, I can't have the phone in my room if I'm writing because I will just hear the phone talking to me. It's there's emails in here or you don't, you want to see what the weather is going to be like today or, you know, everything that you could find in there will call you and distract you. So I love that. And I think that these are some rituals that I hope that our kids are really going to take to heart. And they're really going to start to put them in place. And what kind of rituals, other rituals do you have that really help you stay in tune with yourself or in balance? The motorbiking, trying to get, I know we both share a passion of going out on our bikes, 
that's been a big thing for me because we're constantly dwelling on the past or anxious about the future yeah but being present in this mind space right now in this second and maximizing the potential of this minute often we take that for granted and that's especially like when you've got this thing buzzing at you your phone now you've got access to everything and nothing at the same time but how can you see everything and nothing at the same time you said you have access to everything and nothing at the same time oh that is well put mic drop (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah if you just being present and that that the motorbike for me where you have to be present otherwise you'll you'll fall off the thing or someone will bump into you but that's that's been really good in cycling as well and just trying to just make the most of things you know yeah that's that's, fantastic I love that I love it all right now so you know you're a big change maker you help people make change in their companies so if you have any tips about people that are listening and they want to make a change some kind of change in what they're doing what would you tell them? Because you pivoted from working for somebody else, doing those things to starting your own company. And you've done that multiple times. And every time you're in a room with people, you're asking them to pivot. So what would you suggest if somebody who is like you thinking, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I want to do something else. What would you say? I would so I don't want to be responsible for people making some dramatic change, but I okay. If you're in an environment where you want to make change, for example, in an organization, I feel like you have to listen to understand the propensity for an organization willing to change, whether that would be one person, whether that would be a team, and start to figure out who the people are that you can, that are champions and gatekeepers. Also, laddering back why why is there a need to change what is your why what are the factors behind you making that change once you start to understand your why you'll know whether it's a kind of more of an environmental thing more of a lifestyle thing or yes, you know, a yes. whole chain because don't be too rash often people seek a solution that's very binary for example, this isn't working, therefore I need to do that. There might be a third option or a compromise yeah. or or an intermediary step that allows them to get an understanding of what they want because often people are so tied to a solution, they forget about the values or the why or the, the drivers and the signals that are pushing them to need to feel like they need to make the change. So I think really... figure out your why and then start to play from there. Yeah. I think too, this, the other thing you're saying in here that you aren't directly speaking to is that, or maybe I'm just hearing this in between space, which is there is a part of us that feels like when things aren't working, it's better to go there than to stay here and work it out. Because sometimes in the working out, you work it through And so then you don't have to go and repeat the pattern in whatever you end up doing after this, because you will repeat the pattern. And so if you can figure that out and then you can leave gracefully and know that that was the right thing to do and that it's the right time, I think that 
is so essential. So I love that you're talking about finding stakeholders that are also willing to change and who are the gatekeepers so you can win them over so that you can create the kinds of changes that you want to see in your environment. I love that. I love you, Dan. You're so incredible. I loved having this conversation with you. I'm going to bring you back so we can talk more about what's happening with you. And I'm sure that the camping trip is going to be amazing because you will be COVID free. We're setting that intent. And so uh, (laughs) is there any, any, I'm safe now. That's right. I've got one more day and I'm I'm safe. (laughs) That's right. May we all stay COVID free people. Let's just put that out there that we spread that out so we can get back to, we can not get back to, but get forward to the life that we dream about. Right. We dream about, well, I dream about being in the same place in the universe with you, Dan, so that we can do some kind of work together. So I look forward to that opportunity. And thank you so much for coming here and spending time with me in your morning, my evening, so we could get to know you a little better. Thank you for having me, Patty. It's amazing. It's just so amazing to just just be part of your orbit and be part of the multiverse that you connect to. So you got another friend in Australia. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So now, everybody, you know the drill. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And also, please follow Dan Levy with More Space for Light. Um, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find More Space for Light on the internet. And also in the show notes, we'll find other ways that you can connect with him because he's incredible. And if your company is looking for a, an amazing facilitated experience, he's your man. I'm just saying. Okay. All right, everybody. Until next time, up your creative genius. Take good care. Woo! Thanks so much for listening today. Be sure to DM me on Instagram your feedback or takeaways from today's episode on Up Your Creative Genius. Then join me next week for more Rocket Fuel. Remember, you are the superstar of your universe, and the world needs what you have to bring. So get busy, get out, and up your creative genius. And no matter where you are in the universe, here's some big love from yours truly, Patty Dobrovolsky, and the Up Your Creative Genius podcast. That's a wrap. 